Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders, and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Today I have two wonderful guests on Improv Interviews. One I've known for quite a while and one's a new friend, Lee Shine old friend, new friend, Francine Wolf. Hi, guys. Glad to have you here. Hi there. Thanks for having us. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit with Francine first, because I could basically tell Lee's story myself, but um, I'll let him get a few words in. And Francine, I'm really interested in the work that you're doing. It's so exciting. And can you tell me a little bit about how you even got into improv? Were you an actor first? What led you to improv? I was definitely an actor first. I took my first acting class when I turned 40 in 1990. Uh, being a single parent, I decided I needed to find an activity that I could do for myself once my daughter was old enough. And from that, uh, after doing a lot of uh, commercial work and theater, I started out in musical theater. Um, I took an improv class and that was probably 1994. And the person who taught it had a professional corporate improv company. And she actually learned and worked at in, um, in improv at the Renaissance Festival in New York City, but she had come from Second City, LA. So that's the background. So I did improv with her, corporate improv, and it was out in public, interactive. Um, we did some, some uh, states, uh, what do you call it, uh, sketch comedy and improv. And then I was asked to join playback theater. And I did that for five years. Playback theater, I loved it. I moved to Florida in 2000, and I tried to start a playback company, but I needed a conductor. And then I said, okay, well, how about just regular improv? And I found somebody who had moved back to Florida from LA and had actually worked and taught at Second City LA, uh, Carrie Getz. So the two of us with another person started um, short form improv. And right soon after that was when I met Lee at an event at the um, Strath Center, which was called something else at that time. So it was probably about 18 years ago that I met Lee. Uh, so Bay Area Improv Theater was happening. Um, I don't know how much do you want me to, to say about my history, but after that, uh, I took a little break from improv, but it was always a big love of mine and I've continued to do theater and um, commercial work, film, and then three years ago, uh, I started to do solo improv. It started out with a show at the Tampa International Fringe Festival, and I couldn't think of a name, so I called it This Show is Meshuggah. 
but I didn't really like that name, but it was printed up. Uh, and then I changed it into Half-Baked Boomer, which was really a character that did the show as an older person who is having a family reunion. She's dressed as she's baking for her family and everybody in the audience is her family. So I took that show, I did a couple shows here in Tampa Bay and then I took it on the fringe circuit. I, I love it, I love it. I'm gonna ask you, we're gonna go back a second. Not everybody is familiar with playback theater. I do know some playback people here in Florida, but can you explain a little bit what playback theater is, how it's maybe different from I don't know, traditional improv? Oh, it's, it's very different because it comes from psychodrama. Uh, I think it was Jonathan Fox, I could be wrong about the name, but he was an out of work actor and he started it. Um, and in order, to, in order to facilitate the show, you need somebody who's trained as a playback conductor because you're talking to people and you're asking them for stories in their life, for moments in their life, stories in their life. And then, and then the players on stage play it back to the person who's telling the story. And then that person has the chance to say, Oh, that was good. I really like that. Or they could say, no, do it again, but I want a different ending. I want to see happiness. So it's, it's very, it's emotional. Um, there are many different, a lot of it is abstract um, movement, a lot of movement. We use fabric. So, you know, I, I think we're using a lot of those uh, playback elements in online improv. I think it's a wonderful form and I have again some people in Florida I know and in Israel and other parts of the world that do a lot of playback so it's worldwide it's everywhere it's totally worldwide it's yeah so when you met Lee what was your first impression <laughs> I like him all I liked him I mean he was a very um personable person um and not I'm not sure how did we actually get into improv together because I met him at an event that was outside of improv. I can't uh, Dick Shaw. Oh, we did it. Yeah, we did a class with Dick Shaw. We did a bunch. I it was like at least two years with Dick Shaw. Yeah, we took classes. Yeah, but I don't remember which came first, like the Dick Shaw or the Egg, right? I have yeah. memory loss already. Um, yeah, Dick Dick Shaw, who is was the master of object work from the original Second City. Absolutely. That. King. King. So I'm going to switch over to Lee now, who I have a little history with. Um, I, I started um, improv in my third act of life and uh, don't like to say older or senior, but I just said them. And uh, I had been studying about two years, I think, when Lee came into our little classes in Bonita Springs. And what I really loved about Lee don't love it anymore. But what I really loved about Lee was his kindness and general and the giving of gifts. He was always giving gifts in our scenes. And sometimes I didn't even get the gift that he was giving me. Um, but he was such a fun person to play with and such a genuinely nice human being. So yeah, with that said, totally, Lee, totally let's, with you. Totally. let's go back to grammar school in, in, the, uh, in the Chicago area. Tell us all about yourself. Ah, uh, right. <laughs> I started at a 7,000 watt radio station. Um, uh, 
Yeah, well, the good thing is I'm not like that anymore. I'm not as nice as I used to be. So that's, it saves a lot of time now that I'm older. Um, well, I grew up in Chicago. Um, and uh, I don't know, if you might edu- I was born at Edgewater Hospital. I'm not sure you want to go that far back. But basically, uh, no, I actually don't. That was, that was yeah, born, born in Chicago. Uh, and um, actually uh, did uh, my first uh, improv experience was in 1979. My cousin was uh, the bartender at Second City and friends with a lot of the people sort of at that generation, uh, Ron Dean and people went off to fame and fortune. Um, he was popular because he was the, because he ran the bar. So he was one of the most popular guys at the place, but um, they started to do some, uh, this is actually an interesting story because him and a few other guys there, um, and of course it was all guys there at that time in that group, uh, did, um, started one of the first improv for business. One of, they, they had this great concept in 78, 79. Mm-hmm. We could take these concepts and do it in business. So my mom and I actually in 79 took a class with them on improv. My mom was actually amazing. She missed her calling. I think it was the only time she actually did improv, but we did a class. And uh, of course they were about, uh, you know, three decades too early with their idea. Plus they were a bunch of improvisers from Second City and they, what the hell do they know about running a business? So of course it didn't really go anywhere. But um, then I really didn't do much with improv. Um, you know, worked a bunch of different places, moved to Boston. Um, ultimately, it wasn't until I think I ended up in D.C. in the 90s. And uh, it turned out someone was teaching improv around the corner. Um, uh, a group called, uh, what was it called? Um, it, uh, what was it called? It was a brand new group. Nobody was doing improv in D.C. This is in the 90s. Um, it turns out, and, and uh, the, she had come from, the person who started uh, came from Keith John, had studied with Keith Johnstone. So she was doing kind of the improv style, et cetera. So we did that, uh, started doing classes and really didn't get quite to doing shows. I ended up moving from DC. Now, of course, um, you know, it's like these, these improv in DC is huge, you know, with a bunch of, you know, ongoing groups. So uh, it, we're, we're always just a little bit, so my, obviously my life story is I'm always just a little bit ahead of the curve. Uh, similarly in Tampa, when I met Francine, we, Dick Shaw was living out there. We were studying with him. Um, yeah, that was unbelievably valuable, a master of object work. Uh, however, uh, again, similarly, never quite got to a, getting to a show, never quite got to anywhere because, um, you know, like all those old, uh, sort of like the Del Close, Dick Shaw, any of the old timers, um, nothing was ever going to be good enough to actually perform. You would never possibly, it was an impossible to get to the point where you could possibly, you know, be good enough to do something. Um, so you just had to constantly be like studying and then, you know, no, that coffee cup, it still doesn't look enough like a coffee cup. <laughs> Come back next week, leave now. Um, and it's kind of like that. I know other people I know who kind of studied in that era kind of remember all that. So, um, we, uh, and then we started to do some, so we formed uh, Bay Area Improv Theater, BAIT, and started the first improv group in the Tampa area. Again, very similar, we found a location, started doing shows, nobody came, sort of the classic story, right? Uh, years later, I, just a few years ago, I ran into Francine, hadn't seen her in a long time at the uh, Sarasota Improv Festival. And we're standing there and people are coming up and going, oh my God, you're Lee Shine, you founded improv. There's either all these people now in, now there's like all these groups in Tampa and they're doing all these shows 
And all these like younger people are coming up going, oh my God, you and Francine, you guys were in bait. You started, you brought improv to Tampa, right? So it, I was, we were like shocked. People asking for autographs. Like, you know, cause when we did, it was just a disaster. I ended up moving from Tampa down to Benita. That's where, um, and honestly did not do, again, for many years, didn't do anything with improv. My daughter started taking improv uh, with Craig Price at the local arts center here in Benita Springs, who uh, oddly enough, you know, considering we're here in Benita, actually ended up becoming quite a, uh, which Margo was involved in really good improv program with multi-levels of classes. And, and I was at almost weekly shows at one point, really, um, certainly monthly shows, uh, really was doing well. Um, but it's really because my daughter took a class and um, Craig had said, uh, oh God, you got improv experience. Come on, take my adult class. Come on, it's really fun. But I know it was in the afternoons, right? Margo was in this class. Uh, it's like at three or two in the afternoon. You know, I had a daughter in school, I'm working. And I'm like, two in the afternoon is, like I said, I could take a class at night, but it's Florida. So of course, every class that was offered was for basically people who were retired, didn't have jobs. So they were always in the afternoon. And I was like, I can't come to a class. I think the only reason I even got involved, which has really led to today, was my daughter changed school. So she went from probably elementary to middle school and got out at two so I could come to a three o'clock class or some reason I could drop over her or take her with me and we started doing the classes. And um, uh, that was a really good group. Margaret was in that group. It was really um, super, super nice uh, people who really just enjoyed being in the class, you know, so it didn't really matter. Like even before we were doing shows, it didn't really matter. Nobody, it was really just a lot of fun to get together and classes aren't always like that. So that was a great, uh, uh, that was a golden era in my memory of times with uh, Margot and some of the others in that group. So if you remember, we were playing with rats and palmetto bugs because we opened up in a defunct bar somewhere before we moved to a, a more ritzier place. Oh no, I was lucky. I missed, yeah, I oh, missed, missed those the, years. Oh, oh, I missed the, uh, the, uh, the roach infested bar that you were in. I got just when they uh, had, had, I got in uh, just about the time that they purchased the art, a new theater center. And luckily I completely, I think I saw a couple of shows in the roach place, um, but missed that. Yeah, I was lucky. When we, were in, we were in, when we were in the Roach place, it was in a little shopping mall, very nice, you know, Benita Springs shopping mall. And we would literally go out into the mall and ask people to come to a free show. I mean, we actually got people from the sidewalks <laughs> come in and look at us. <laughs> yeah, Margaret, I think I remember Margaret standing out on the main road with a big sign she was twirling, improv <laughs> show, improv <laughs> show, you know, and trying to get people to come in, you know, free hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> yeah. Here's my oh, pants off comedy. See? Uh, is that me? Underpants, yeah, that's you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, I look much younger. I look much younger in cartoon. I like it better. So we're going to fast forward to your involvement today. Uh, what you've been doing? I know you've been teaching for a while on your own. Great classes. Oh yeah. So yeah. So uh, let's see. To pick up the story, right? Recently. Uh, I really have been doing a lot of different stuff. Um, like uh, Margot, in fact, I sort of found the power of um, therapeutic improv. And so for a while I was uh, teaching locally here uh, groups of, uh, with ASD students. Um, uh, there was a group up uh, in the local area that was, uh, had, has a fairly big ASD program, but was looking for 
some art stuff. They were actually already doing art. So, you know, physical, you know, art, art. And um, thought about improv. Um, that, that's like a classic, isn't that? That's, this is a, here's a classic improv uh, player, teacher story, right? Someone calls me and goes, hey, we're doing this big ASD program and we're doing art right now. And we want to add like some music to it. And we're thinking of adding like acting or improv. You know, hey, who would you, who do you think you know that could do it? You know, is that classic, right? Somebody calls you and goes, hey, I'm looking for an actor, an improviser. You know, do you know someone good? And they're like, uh, what about me? Oh, could you do that? Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah. And there's the Lucy Alano connection too. Uh, yes, brain folks, because you spent a week out there, I believe. Yeah, I ended up going out to uh, Indiana uh, and, um, and taking Camp Yesan, which I highly recommend. And um, yeah, it was really, and you know, and, and as Margo already knows, I'm sure you've talked about this, you know, any kind of therapeutic use for improv, um, it's really amazing, you know, it's, it, and it kind of always kind of gets you choked up when you don't really, I, I don't know about you, Margo, but I don't, I don't really, especially as a teacher, you're used to seeing a certain sort of progression, you're used to seeing a certain, um, whatever you see in the classroom, and normally in most normal improv or any class, you kind of go from A to B and you see people get it and then you go on to the next thing. And often in therapeutic classes, you don't really see a lot happening. You're not sure you're making an impact, but what ends up happening is by the next week, someone comes back and either themselves or a parent or a loved one will tell you, oh my God, your class last week made such a difference, right? So you have to really change your mindset from looking for progression in a classroom that you'd normally be ready to, you know, you'd be, and, and all of a sudden you realize it, sometimes these things, land later. Francine, let's talk about how you develop uh, Pants Optional. Well, actually, I wanted to add to what Lee said, because oh, sure. I, is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> no. No? That's okay. Oh, because I have a degree in elementary education. So um, in Florida, when I first came here, one of the first things I did was teach children at showbiz kids, I taught them improv. And um, from there, I actually, because, you know, I was um, a struggling, starving actor, I developed a curriculum to teach improv on cruise ships. And I started teaching improv, basically the same improv class with 10 different names, like a funny thing happened out at sea, improv. Um, walking the boards on on board, things like that. So that you know, I was teaching people improv from all over the world. A lot of them having English as their second language, and it was like so much fun. It was great. It was great, and yeah, I I bet it was. I was on a cruise, never to go again, I suppose, in this lifetime. But um, they did have a, one or two improv uh, nights but they didn't really have somebody teaching improv. And, and my friend Marshall Stern and Nancy Walker, they were doing the cruises at least half the year. And what a fun time that must've been for you. Oh, Fred. it was great. It was, it was great. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I wanted to add on that. And Plus a midnight buffet. Where else can you get improv and a midnight buffet? <laughs> yeah. yeah, a free, a free trip. If only, I'll tell you what, it would, even if, you know, so it, it would be great if even if you, even if nobody came to your shows, you weren't making any money or whatever, if there was a big buffet at the end of every show, it would make it all worth it, wouldn't it? Like all you could eat, big ice cream, big ice sculpture. That's maybe what we're missing. If we just had like an ice sculpture. That certainly would sell improv. A Sunday bar. 
and um, egg salad that's been sitting out all day. I think it would be a great, it would really improve it. Um, one other thing I just want to mention, if, if there's time, was um, one of the other things I did have been, had done here is got involved with a group called Harry Senior Moment, which Margo was involved with for a little while as well. And that was re um, uh, really a, 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 a improv group built around a fellow named um, Harry Lickstein down here who had uh, was diagnosed with stage uh, four colon cancer and had a very terrible prognosis, but started actually originally came to one of the shows Margo and I were in, um, came up on stage, really enjoyed it, signed up for classes and ended up really living five more years than his doctors expected while he was doing improv. And so again, it really, uh, the, the point of that group, um, he passed away a couple of years ago, but really, um, outlived the expectations and you know I like to think because of improv so it really does point out the the real life savings literally life-saving um uh benefits as well uh so really that's been more of my focus is is teaching doing that and then um uh of course hosting uh Francine's pants optional comedy I mean, on, on that vein, I would say that Pants Optional Comedy Online Happy Hour has kept me going through this pandemic because I look forward to it so much. And it's been very therapeutic in addition to being fun and getting together with old friends of mine because I actually, okay, I'll tell you how it started. In early March, like maybe the first week that we were all staying in, I got hired through... Um, I advertise online for my um, improv and, you know, red carpet characters. And I had a musical duo for a while. I, I got booked to do a breakout session for a mortgage company for 20 minutes with two stand-up comedians because they thought I was a stand-up comedian. And I didn't know these people. I didn't know. We, we had one short meeting beforehand. They gave us the scenarios. They told us, you're going to use a book as a prop in this scene. And then they said, all right, and then the audience, it'll be streamed live on Facebook. And then the audience will vote on the best comedian. And then you'll get a bonus. So there was a tie between me and, and another woman. And so they said, okay, you'll both get gift cards. So I thought, how, how much fun and how easy this was. If somebody could figure this out and it was based and, and the mortgage company owner was like the Drew Carey MC. I said, well, I have to do this. I can do this. So I called up my old friends, uh, including uh, a, fr a friend from Ohio who actually did directed playback. And I did the corporate improv with him and I got two players from Ohio and I took a workshop on through the uh, Vintage Improv Festival. And I met Nikki Kennedy, who actually lives outside of London, England. And I immediately saw her talent. And I said, you have to be with us. And so Nikki's in our group. And I called up Lee immediately. And um, so that's how it happened. And we're doing weekly shows. And uh, now, when, when are your shows in Eastern time? What, what, what time are they and when are they? Eastern time every Wednesday at 6 p.m. for an hour. Happy and hour. Is it a show or is it a jam? No, it's a show. Just our people, just our players. Um, but we encourage audience participation in the chat box.
And you recently decided to make it a free online event, you said. Well, we started out doing it specifically for specific charities. And um, uh, we raised a lot of money for actually five charities. Um, but one of my main objectives was to be able to pay my out-of-work actors during this time. And with uh, so much money going to charities, it was a little difficult. So, and you know, I felt really good. I feel really good that we were able to give to so many charities, you know, All Children's Hospital, the Children's Network, Lebanese Red Cross, Harry Chapin Food Bank, uh, United Christian um, Services in Michigan. But at this time, I think it's, it's, it's important that my, my actors, my players get some income. So we're asking for tips, it's a free show, and uh, pushing for private bookings for family events, for birthdays, anniversaries. You know, we will custom design the show for your company, your organization, or your family. We have a dirt sheet, you know, two-page uh, questionnaire that they will fill out and give us names of people, situations, t uh, topics not to cover. And uh, yeah, so that's... So you're basically doing what we used to call a needs assessment of your group before you go in. Now, I had a question Oh, about vintage. Are you performing at the Vintage Festival this year with, Nikki, with Mickey Mann? I signed up. I think so. <laughs> I haven't heard anything, yeah. Have you ever been to one of their live festivals? I actually went to her first year of Vintage Improv Festival in Boston. I went, yes. Um, I actually remember asking Lee if he wanted to go, right? Yes, yeah, I did not go. Yes, I went. Um, it was... Um, it was interesting. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it's a great idea for those of us. I certainly started in my golden years. Um, you didn't, and Lee certainly didn't. But for me, it's a, a great way to explore those of us who came in slightly more experienced. One of the things I found when I was performing is that I would throw out references like, well, Betsy Ross that somebody didn't get. Cool, that's kind of a funny one. But, you know, references like maybe um, the red slippers or things that we automatically of a certain age would know what we're talking about. And with younger folks, they weren't always getting the connection. So well, but in improv, we justify everything. So they had to make it work. Well, actually at that festival, the Vintage Improv Festival, they had a workshop um, given by Boston Improv. I think that's the name of their group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On how, on, on actually older, elderly improvisers working with the younger improvisers. <laughs> and when situations like that come up, and how to deal with it. And that's right, you have to justify it. So just come up with anything. Or use some sort of uh, simultaneous translation, right? One of the things they had was uh, a person in the middle who the young person would say something and they'd just interpret it for the older person. I don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> do that too. Or vice, and vice versa. Vice versa, yeah. I remember we played games that had names of celebrity singers and I didn't have a clue who they were. You know, so I would just make it up. So um, I want to know, because you're really doing, you're do, you've been doing some applied improv. Are you a member of the Applied Improv Network, Francine? No, 
Oh, okay. That's a huge organization. They have an international conference every year. I'm, they may be virtual this year. And there's people from all over the world. So it's great. And now today in improv, we're meeting all these wonderful people. Oh. Apply to Improv Network. And it's a tremendous group to belong to. Um, and anybody can join. There's a certification process. But it's tremendous because one of the things I was really interested in was going into retirement villages, assisted living, uh, skilled nursing even, to work with older individuals and, and individuals with dementia and Alzheimer's. And I think Lee had some experience with that as well. Well, actually I have because for the three years before I retired from full-time work, which was in 2016, I was actually um, a, uh, an activities or uh, director of community life at an assisted living. And because of my love of improv, I actually scheduled improv every week. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, they liked that. It was, yeah, it was really good. But it was just, it was with assisted living, not with memory care. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. So I, I know what I was going to ask. I was going to ask, um, how have you been coping with our current issues in terms of the pandemic and COVID? I, I know for myself and a lot of improvisers, this has been an opportunity to just, um, really uh, experience and perform our art. Well, yeah, you can, uh, absolutely. I mean, ever since forming Pants Optional, which was, what was it, mid-May maybe, um, uh, I've spent a lot of time working on it and, and everybody in the group, we have um, seven, eight members, Everybody, you know, it's taken time to figure out all the technical stuff. And, uh, you know, now we have our background. Um, it's wonderful. I love it. it. Keeps, love like it. I said, it keeps me going. It keeps me going because I can't see my children and grandchildren who are all in Denver. Uh, I'm even missing a bar mitzvah, my grandson's bar mitzvah. Oh, no. Really, really sad. Yeah. So... What about you? Because I have, well, of course, I have a clinical practice, so I stay busy almost all day long, but I've had the opportunity to study improv around the world mm -hmm. with really great uh, teachers, and um, it's just such a wonderful experience for me. I, I just love it. How about you, Lee? How has it infected, the, infected your um, yeah. improv life? Well, luckily, luckily, it hasn't infected me, so that's what's really good. <laughs> that's we're trying to stay away from getting infected by it. Um, but we, um, well, it's interesting because um, just before all this started, uh, there was actually going to be, uh, there was scheduled to be uh, this really large memorial show for Harry and Harry Senior Moment, which is going to bring back a bunch of people and had video clips. And um, literally, I think that was scheduled for like March 23rd. But, you know, once you got into the beginning of March, everyone realized this probably isn't going to happen. Um, in the meantime, because we weren't really doing shows, some of the, a couple of the other players from that group um, did a did a local show around the first of the year, and people had all uh, said, "Oh, can you teach?" So right around the corner here, right in the neighborhood where we're in, uh, someone had a little art center, and they said, "Oh, we really want you to do classes." I got all these people who want to take this. They saw the show; it's great. So we started we started a uh, Monday night drop in. Let's just just do a drop in. I I was trying to get away from registering people and trying to make them show up every week it was really difficult. So. Um, Great, we had this Monday night drop-in and you know, 
couple of people came at first and, you know, it's like the classic 10 bucks a head. Then, you know, we were getting like a dozen people showing up to the drop in. Hey, this is great. You know, this is going to work out. And then of course the next week, nobody showed up because again, most folks in the area are a little bit older and all of a sudden it was like everyone was staying home due to COVID. So, you know, this was, um, you know, again, right around March or whenever that was all happening. I don't even remember now. So we, um, so like the decision was, do, what do we do? And we literally the next week just totally went on to Zoom. So literally from the first week that people, one or two people didn't show up, you know, and, and we had the hand sanitizer and we had the chairs six feet apart and we were really, you know, and nobody was coming. So we, um, and I didn't really, and you know, did I want to do that either? No. So we went right online and uh, it's interesting because everyone, the assumption was great. We'll just get the same 12, maybe there were 20 people kind of rotating in and out. So, Hey, we got 20 people, you know, five, 10, who knows, we'll show up every week. Not one, not one person who had come in person, maybe one or two, I should take it back because one or two went on zoom, but I think there was that huge, like I literally, you know, and you've probably heard this too, um, Margot, like I can't do zoom. I don't know how to use it. I don't have a computer. I've never used a computer in my life. Um, uh, but that, and, and oddly enough, it's not just old, I'm not old folks because there's plenty of older folks who were totally like, you know, knew how to do it in two seconds. So in what switched is we, you know, now we're getting people who just find it online. I think we're on, they're on Eventbrite, I guess. And um, so we've had people from Malaysia, stand-up comedian with autism from Malaysia, uh, Juliana Hang, who's actually, look her up, Walking on Spectrum. She's in the Virtual Fringe Festival. The next, she's been in Virtual Fringe Festival is online for about two or three weeks. There's another week to go. So look her up. She's fantastic. Uh, we're going to watch her perform live tonight. Um, Malaysia, India, um, the United Kingdom, Mexico. So we've had people tune in. Um, and that's been really great because particularly if anyone has experience, they're bringing a lot of, you know, they're teaching you what they know, which is really interesting. Um, uh, however, I found it, it's a little bit, you know, like all these kind of online things, it's hard to really keep that momentum like you would have in person. And so what ends up happening is, um, you know, we'll see people and then they'll be gone and they're off doing something else. And, and, um, and uh, what, uh, like one of my colleagues said, wow, wouldn't it be great if all these people who've joined us over all these weeks actually showed up at once? Would be really cool. Um, so it's always kind of something different. Uh, I think, though, one other thing I should mention is my, the concept. So from that start, in which, you know, in deference to Dick Shaw, I was still teaching traditional improv. So I'm telling people, you know, it's, this is co it's a coffee. Oh, it's hot, you know, and oh, hold it by the handle. Oh, Hold it by, what kind of cup is it, you know, and getting into all the details of that. Is it a ceramic cup? What would that look like? Um, then I think we realized uh, by taking some great workshops by the likes of Parallelogram Phonograph out of Austin and Marcus Sams out of San Francisco, who's teaching um, much more about online improv. And, and I, I worked, uh, one of my various million jobs that we didn't get into was I worked at WGN-TV in Chicago for a little while. So you know, getting back to this is, you know, early 80s. So getting back to that concept of television versus stagecraft and getting all, so, so Dick Shaw has been banished. All the classic stagecraft improv stuff has been banished. And uh, so the first couple of weeks, a perfect example is 
yelling at everyone, stop using virtual backgrounds, stop playing around with Zoom, come on, we gotta focus on this, to now where we've, uh, all, uh, anyone who's I'm performing with or when we're teaching, you know, we encourage tons of our virtual backgrounds, you know, not goofing around, but, but that goes with whatever scene you're doing, props, using props, um, all the stuff that, you know, Margo and I would have, and Francine, all three of us, right, would have like, if someone had come in, right, if we were teaching 10 years ago and someone came in and said, why don't we use props? Why don't we put up funny backgrounds? We would have just thrown them out and said, you're crazy, you know, listen, it's uh, not it, Rob, go do your show somewhere else. So Rob, now embracing all of that is just a huge change, right? Um, it's, that's kind of, right, that's kind of, so I, I, I and that's a very major change, right? For, for people, who, right? Who've been doing something the traditional way uh, for so long. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, that's a Monday night class because I've been to it. That's the Monday night class you're talking Correct. about. Correct, yeah, the Monday night, yeah. And uh, we'll certainly put a link to that. It's a fun class. Sometimes if I've been Zooming all day long, as a therapist, it's a little struggle to get back on Zoom at night, but it's right. a wonderful class. Lots of great people. Um, really enjoy everybody who's been teaching along with you. So who knows what tomorrow will bring? My feeling is, and I hope I'm not repeating myself, that improvisers are resilient, imaginative, creative people, and that we, um, we bounce back. And you two are really great examples of bouncing back, I think, you know? So um, what do you say about that? The bounce back? Uh, reinventing, bounce back I, think, I think it's about reinventing yourself. Um, I, I always need a challenge in my life. And that's why, you know, I said, I'm going to do, a, first it was gonna be a solo written show. And then I thought three years ago, no, I cannot memorize a whole one hour. So improv. And I needed this creative outlet to keep me going and I reinvented myself. And I think no matter what comes in the, you know, in, in coming years, I will still be reinventing myself and, and hopefully improv will still be part of that. Yeah, I would agree. I think um, uh, really it's just right. It's just about adapting to whatever's going on and, you know, and, and that's great. Someone's, you know, someone had mentioned the other day at, at a festival or something I was watching that, um, uh, you know, actors, regular theaters trying to still figure out how to present things on Zoom and everyone in, in, in the improv world is already just doing it. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't say, obviously, if you watch a lot of improv on Zoom, you, you know, you're not going to see everything that isn't going to be fantastic. But to be fair, going to improv live, everything wasn't terribly fantastic either. So I don't think, I don't think there's a massive degradation of improv per se. I think that uh, if anything, again, once you kind of figure your way around things, a perfect example yesterday was the first time we did a show, we did a little jam thing. And um, it was the first time we didn't have an audience feedback because we just, because it was on Facebook, so it's delayed. So there isn't a way to ask for, you know, unless you want to wait the 20 seconds, 30 seconds to get a suggestion, which, is a, which wasn't a long time on stage, but as you all know, it's a long time on Zoom. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, I just, I had a card suggestion box, uh, storymatic, by the way, dot com. I don't get, I don't get a nickel out of each one of these, but um, a box I've had for a long time. I used to use it in class for suggestions, you know, but don't, not, have never really used it in a show before because we always had an audience or we had the chat box. 
So yesterday I was able to just randomize, um, just randomize cards and, and pull cards for suggestions. So, so, you know, and I basically sat around all afternoon saying, you know, do we wait to 20 seconds to get suggestions? What do we do? And had to kind of just come up with it. So we've come up with a lot of ideas uh, on, on the fly like that. So I think that's, I think it's, you know, I think it'll be around and, you know, I'm sure other people have told you this, you know, it's kind of an art form that probably would be around whether the theaters are open or not open um, because, you know, as much as I might uh, hate having to get ready for a show, uh, not having to actually get in the car and drive to it takes out a whole level of preparation that makes it a lot more convenient, right? So uh, to be able to just go upstairs and do that. And again, think about it back in, you know, in the eighties when I worked in TV, you know, to do what we're doing right now, you'd have to go to WGN TV and you would have, you know, uh, probably ha half a million dollars worth of equipment to have to do kind of what we're doing now. Um, so uh, whatever the drawbacks are, uh, if you keep it in like the perspective of, uh, here's, a, here's another great quote from one of my colleagues, uh, Bob Campbell on uh, Pants Optional said, uh, he felt like this is the early days of rock and roll. And yes, there's a lot of people doing a lot of things and there's a lot of competition and everyone's trying to make a name for themselves or whatever. But when you look back 10 years from now, um, uh, it'll be just another one of my stories where I'm saying, hey, I was doing Zoom comedy and making no money and nobody cared 10 years ago. Now you guys are all getting rich doing it. And it'll be just like my story from, you know, Tampa or DC or any place, <laughs> right? I'll just be another one of those people. You know, I'm always ahead of the curve. What can I tell you? And you guys are too. Well, listen, you're doing, you're all doing fantastic work, Francine. I was so happy to get to know you a little bit better today and your energy and enthusiasm and light just shine through. Maybe not as well on the audio, but definitely on the video. <laughs> thank you so much for doing a little game with me today. I thought that was kind of fun and just uh, in true improv spirit. So um, anything you'd like to put out there to somebody who might be thinking about doing improv and maybe wondering if, you know, they're afraid or they're too old or they're too young or what would you, what kind of advice would you give? Francine. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Margo, and, and ha for having Lee. Um, I've really appreciated this and it's been fun. I would put out there, watch our show and see what we do. And don't be afraid because there are no mistakes. You can never make a mistake in improv. It's making something up on the spot. It's making something out of nothing. And after watching our show, there's so many really professional good groups who are teaching classes and take, take classes. If you don't like it, you can just turn your video off and just listen. You know, you don't have to be seen, um, but don't be afraid. Just go for it. Don't be afraid. I love that. Don't be, don't afraid. be afraid. How about you, Lee? Any succinct Comments. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I've known Margo. I've known Margo. I've known me a long time. Uh, I would say, uh, yeah. Again, thanks for having both of us on. I really appreciate it. Um, it's been a good time. And um, yeah, I, I've always had the motto: anyone can do improv. Um, and my main thing is to tell people to not think. The reason I do improv and stop doing plays or anything else is because uh, it, it gives you the luxury of not having to think about it, not having to memorize. And not even, for me, my method is I don't even, 
the more I try not to be good, the better I am, right? So um, I found that people, when we do our Monday night drop-in, if you, people are certainly welcome to do the Monday night drop-in and check it out. We've had people come on, not turn their cameras on and just watch and then maybe do something at the end. Um, we used to do that even in live classes. Someone might sit in a corner and then go, okay, I'll try it. So really, um, the, the, honestly, the, the, we've had people who've never done it before, who've done a great job in one night. Um, as long as you're just willing to give it, just go for it and not worry about what it looks like. Nobody, you know, it's very supportive. That's the other great thing about improv that is really different, I think, than um, my experience in the theater world or the stand-up comedy world or whatever is yep. that. Um, yep. I improvisers are just unbelievably supportive. I, nobody ever, uh, you know, the rare occasions, Margot and I may have experienced the rare occasions where someone is, is nasty. Those people don't last long. It is, you know, so it is really one of the easiest places to try something than almost any other environment. So I suggest you, you uh, drop in on Lee's Monday night class. It's uh, by donations, right? Yeah. Donations and give him a donation because he's one of the best teachers in the world. Oh, that's nice. I got to, I should have recorded that. Oh, he certainly is. I need a, I'm going to need a, I'm going to need a, I want to get a, I got to get a clip of that. That's the (laughs) nicest thing anyone said to me lately. (laughs) Clip it out of the audio. Yeah. Thanks. So anyway, thank you both so much for being on our show today. And uh, people will be able to find links to your classes and shows uh, in the text that accompanies this. So I love you both. Happy Saturday and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Margot. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.